Hey team, welcome to the Make It Happen Show. This is Jack DeLosa, entrepreneur, investor, and founder of The Entourage. I wanna help you make it happen. If you're a seven or an eight-figure business owner, or you're a six-figure business owner with aspirations to grow to seven or eight figures, I wanna help you expand your mindset, break through your roadblocks, and elevate every area of your life. Join me in this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to learn directly from me in this two-day masterclass called The Elevation elevated entrepreneur experience where I'm going to share with you the top personal development and high performance strategies and how you can blend them in business and entrepreneurship to make you an icon of industry and to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Secure your seat now at www.the-entourage.com slash event. Now, let's get into the Make It Happen show. Have you got an audience that you can leverage that perhaps you haven't thought about as a source of capital before? That, that's really what crowdfunding does. Nothing connects better than, you know, a passionate, engaged and motivated founder and, you know, people back people. And um, I think the best campaigns have, have really had, you know, believable, uh, transparent and accountable founders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Make It Happen Show. I'm Tim Morris, the CEO here at The Entourage. And today I'm joined by Matt Vitale, the co-founder and managing director of Virtual. Now, Matt and I have actually known each other for ages. So it was really good to have him on the show. Uh, with Virtual, he has brought equity crowdfunding to Australia. So we dig into exactly what that is and importantly, why it's an exciting source of capital for entrepreneurial businesses here in Australia. We talk about some of the best campaigns they've helped run on Virtual. Uh, also, tips and tricks for standing out from the crowd if you are looking to raise capital. And really exciting, what's ahead in equity crowdfunding here in Australia. It is a super exciting space, so let's get into it. Matt Vitale, welcome to the show. How are you? Very well, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Excellent. It's good to have you here. It's been a long time in the making. So, um, I mean, I've been a big fan of virtual for a long time, pretty much since you guys started. I mean, you really are spearheading equity crowdfunding in Australia. So let's kick us off by saying, how have you helped make that happen? Yeah, thanks. Um, look, it's, you know, equity crowdfunding was a long time coming in Australia. Um, it's, you know, I'd say it's pretty established and, um, you know, not as new in the UK. UK's got the largest, uh, you know, most mature equity crowdfunding regime in the world. Um, yeah, it took several years for the government to kind of get comfortable uh, to allow us to do what we do, um, which is pretty, you know, pretty risky after all. Um, you know, we're allowing retail investors to invest in, you know, a very risky asset class, which is early stage businesses. Um, but, you know, there's, uh, there's a real need for it because, you know, businesses, early stage businesses, the capital that's available to them um, just hasn't been there and uh, you know there's been lots reported on that and I think it, it, you know it's an uncontroversial statement to say that early stage capital uh, we have an issue with as a country. Um, I think equity crowdfunding is uh, you know a good solution for Australia. I think culturally you know we're very different to the states and other uh, you know countries that um, are much more kind of uh, accommodating of um, you know venture capital and investing in in businesses, and um, you know I like to think that equity crowdfunding by making early stage businesses and startups you know that as an asset class available to retail investors that 
you know, we can arrest that cultural deficiency in this country and get people interested in backing businesses. Awesome. So, so maybe just break it down into its simplest components for anyone listening. Like, let's, let's just run through, like, equity crowdfunding, like, exactly how it works, you know, opening up to retail investors, you say. So, like, what, who exactly is that? Can you just take us through the just the core building blocks of it? Yeah, for sure. Look, um, lots of people would be familiar with crowdfunding. And, you know, the first platforms that started to emerge, Possible, which my business partner co-founded, and Kickstarter, you know, this is essentially reward crowdfunding. You'll get something nominal in return. Mm-hmm. Um, equity crowdfunding is actually getting a stake in the business, a share. Mm-hmm. So it's an offer of securities. Um, you know, probably the you know, the best example to highlight the tension between the two models is Oculus. Um, you know, they crowdfunded the Oculus Rift, uh, you know, had, I think, about 2,000 people raised $2 million. Their target was 250000 It was a reward crowdfunding campaign. So people were mm. getting headsets before they'd been built. Within 12 months, they were acquired by Facebook for $2 billion. Wow. So, you know, a massive exit, 1,000% return, but the people that backed the Kickstarter campaign were still waiting on their headsets. Ah, uh, no. Whereas if they'd bought part of the business, if they had equity in the business, they would have actually had a, a big return that way. Gotcha. I can certainly see where uh, rewards-based crowdfunding has worked for a lot of businesses. We've had a lot of members that have gone through Kickstarter, possible as well. Um, so I can see how it works. But yeah, so this is now you're offering to purchase shares in the business to a set of investors that you normally wouldn't have been able to access. How does that part work? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the game changes to allow us to do what we do was really the ability to advertise these offers to a national audience. So Mm -hmm. it's an offer of securities. And as you would expect, heavily regulated by the Corps Act. And in the old world, you know, you couldn't advertise an offer of securities online. You know, you're really limited to family and friends or, you know, larger investors that you may or may not have a warm introduction to. So, you know, imagine try selling a product and not being able to advertise it. It's yeah. going to be challenging. And and that would have been to protect, like, the mum and dad investors, yeah? Like, like I could just see without, like, oversight and regulation, people could go and hang their shingle out and get convinced tons of people to invest in their business. And, and, and if they weren't sophisticated enough as investors, then they might do all their money on opportunities that aren't really viable. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Look, that's exactly right. And this is what the government worked through when they put the legislation in place. And, you know, every offer that we host, they need to produce a regulated disclosure document, a CSF offer document. Now, you you might be familiar in the listed space. If someone's going to IPO, they prepare a prospectus. And that's the document that you read to decide whether or not you're going to invest in the offer. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got the same thing, but it's a cut down version of a prospectus. So it's a far more achievable document for an early stage business to prepare but that's really where, you know, all of the liability uh, sits and really where the rubber hits the road for a company that needs to prepare an offer. And it's a really good discipline because, you know, that's the way that we can, you know, protect investors or at least ensure that investors are getting the information that they need rather yeah. than just having this kind of carte blanche for people, you know, marketing offers and, and doing the kinds of things that you imagine the regulators would be scared of, scared about. I can imagine that would be a useful process for anyone going through the process as well like you know you say you don't write a business plan for the for the output you write it for the process of thinking through it so and so developing up that documentation even though it's a regulatory requirement could be very valuable for the businesses looking to raise capital i mean furious agreement with you because that that's often the feedback that we get from companies right like is they they you know it seems daunting that they have to produce this document but 
the skills that they get and, you know, the, the process of going through it, thinking really critically about their business um, is, you know, something that is extremely valuable. It's over and above what they get from, you know, ma making a crowdfunding offer and raising capital. So maybe taking a slight little detour here, aside from the, you know, the paperwork and, and that side of things, like how else does a company who's looking to raise capital, whether it be on virtual or, or through any means, like how else do they really put their best foot forward in your experience? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we've spent a bit of time talking about the offer documents, but actually we decided to kind of flip the process entirely. Like in this mm. environment where we can advertise offers to a national audience, we decided to, you know, just bring the barriers as low as possible for companies to just get out there and market their offer. Because, you know, that's the, you know, has been the unknown quantity is like, mm -hmm. who is out there that might be interested in your business? Mm -hmm. um, we formed the view very early on that the businesses that were, you know, positioned to do best under this, in this new environment were businesses that have a strong consumer proposition. Mm -hmm. And we describe it that way deliberately because it's broader than, you know, B to C. It's um, really, you know, uh, you know, finding the right audience. Like there's a lot of businesses that, you know, don't have a product or service to an end consumer, but they're operating in a space that, you know, people can relate to, people care about, um, you know, Seabin Project is, is you know, a company that we've hosted two offers mm -hmm. for now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the average person on the street would not buy a Seabin. It's like buying yeah. a street light. You know, it's a piece of public <laughs> infrastructure. You know, you're not going to buy it, but people care about, you know, clean oceans and, and what that business is trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, got it. What are, what are some of the other um, classic types of businesses um, that have successful campaigns on your platform? Um, like for us, the markers of success is a really engaged audience. You know, we, um, and that, that's really the way that we look at it. It's like, have you got an audience that you can leverage that perhaps you haven't thought about as a source of capital before? That, that's really what crowdfunding does. Or do you have the ability to get an audience in a very short period of time? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, we run an expression of interest campaign before, like as a market testing exercise before every offer. So, you know, companies can go into an offer having really good insight on, you know, how much demand is out there, how much they're likely to raise, but also where the first investment is, is going to come from. Yeah. Um, and it's really high level information at that stage. So, you know, mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is just start conversations with people that are interested in your business. Mm -hmm. So often we find, you know, if you hit someone with the offer document and all of the information that they need in the first conversation, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, they don't need to talk to you about it. They'll just kind of, you know, go through it and find any number of things, uh, any number of reasons why they, they, they shouldn't take it further. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, having these one-on-one -on -one connections where the founders can, you know, um, endear themselves to these investors because we're trying to build trust in a very short period of time. Yeah. That's so much about businesses marketing and even that whole journey is a marketing journey, right? Like you've got to start, you've got to build a relationship slowly and a little bit at a time and, and move them down the funnel. It's not just everything all at once. Um, so that's, yeah, that's interesting that you've really flipped um, your focus on that. So it's about, it's about, who can the business get in front of? Who do they have a good relationship with? But that certainly gels with we've um, we've had Renee Bunster on the podcast before, and she's got and she's she's gone and done a campaign on virtual and, and absolutely talk about like passion and community. <laughs> 
she was taking us through some of the things her community says is just like uh, very amusing. Yeah, okay. So it's all about it's all about finding, making sure you've got a community or you can connect with the community. People care about what you do, and that's really the first most important thing. And then, and then if you've got that, then you can actually start getting into the rigor of like, can we present the business in a good way? Can we get our documentation together? I mean, what are the what are the other things from a business point of view that make businesses more or less attractive to atta- uh, attracting investment? Do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, it's all of the things that you imagine would be, you know, self-evident with an investment opportunity. And I think this is what we need to remind companies a lot of the time because, you know, everything I've said about building a passionate, engaged audience absolutely applies. But sometimes, you know, companies that have, you know, a social uh, element to their business or an impact element to their business, they can, you know, I suppose, make the mistake of, um you know, focusing or leading with that message. Um, and that what we've found is, you know, these are investment offers after all. So, you know, it, it, it can only be framed in that way. So, you know, the best campaigns present, you know, strong business fundamentals um, and, you know, the impact is like the, the cream, if you like, it's what sets it apart from other offers. Yeah. The, you know, companies that lead with, you know, only the impact, but don't really kind of spend time, you know, uh, highlighting the, you know, the fundamentals of, um, you know, of their business, uh, um, you know, tend to find this a bit more challenging. It's, you know, yeah. in, in our experience, not not enough. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. so it's got to be a good viable business, good growth opportunities, probably some discussion around like exit or what's on the horizon. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What kind of numbers are, are people raising? Like, is there is there a typical band or is it all over the place? What have you seen? Yeah, so um, it, it, is, it is a little bit all over the place. Um, you know, in terms of uh, like, you know, top line figures, we've, you know, the, the biggest campaign we've done is $3 million and we've done twice, uh, once mm. for Sheba Rideshare back in 2019. Oh, yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, very recently for Thrive, which is a, you know, small business banking product. Um, and that was earlier this year. Um, the smallest campaign we've hosted, you know, we've hosted a few like around $100,000. So, so yeah. like, you know, that's the range. Um, yeah. And look, we're, you know, our, our fee structure, we charge 6% of funds raised only if the offer is successful. Mm-hmm. And... We've kind of stuck firm to that because what that means is we can do an offer for $100,000 and not get too concerned about, you know, about fees. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we'll do larger offers and, and have larger fees and that's great. But, you know, we're really committed to making this an open and accessible, you know, platform for all kinds of early stage businesses to raise mm-hmm. money. And, mm-hmm. you know, people think, you know, people would like, you know, they'll come in and at the start of a campaign, you know, expect that they're going to raise, you know, large amounts of money, but, you know, expectations and reality don't always match up. And okay. and that that's just what we need to, you know, yeah. um, accept. Well, and, and that lower, the lower end, like from $100,000 to several hundred, even up to a mil, I mean, that's, that's where it's pretty hard to find it from traditional venture capital, right? That's under the radar for a lot of VCs. They're not even going to bother about that. And so, yeah, you're really, really sort of plugging a gap there. Just on that, you know, because the smaller campaigns, sometimes the smaller campaigns are the ones that like, you know, we we love or have a soft spot for the most. And like there's one in particular that we did last year, um, you know, in the midst of COVID. And, you know, I think it was about 120,000 we raised. And the company's called Needle Calm. Now, you know, this is a device that helps people that have needle phobia to, you know, receive injections. And, oh, yeah, wow. And, um, 
you know, Lauren, you know, that founder, like she, I mean, it was hard for anyone that was raising capital and, you know, particularly for a business like hers. And, you know, she also had challenges because there was a lot of IP in the product and it wasn't out in the market. So we actually couldn't show anyone what the product was. <laughs> like trust us, it's good. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, now we're in the midst of, you know, the largest vaccination program, perhaps in human history. And, uh, you know, 25% of the population have needle phobia and this product is in market and helping those people now. So, you know, it's uh, it's a great story and very fulfilling work. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, talk about timing. That's phenomenal. Um, well, while we're on it, what are some other um, memorable campaigns for you? I'm, I'm interested in the ones that were like roaring success and I'm also interested in ones that were like, wow, that didn't happen how we thought it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, Thrive, it's, you know, it's probably our most recent big success. And I'd say, I, like, I'm, um, I'm really proud of what they achieved. So, you know, they, they came to us towards the end of last year, as you know, as you, you might imagine, the early part of the year, like January, February is historically a very difficult time to raise capital across mm. the market. Everyone's on holidays. Everyone's on holiday, yeah. And um, but we feel that there's a particular opportunity for us because you know we're not reliant on you know brokers and you know people kind of being in offices to raise capital. Like we, you know, most people invest on their phone, right? So mm. we can access them all the time. Mm. Um, but it requires like brave and organised companies to go early in the year. And Thrive decided to do that, and they did, they raised three million dollars in three days, and that was wow. just. Textbook execution, you know, just really, um, you know, and also addressing a real, you know, a common pain point. So what their product does is, um, uh, you know, it's like an accounting software package and banking product all in one. So, you know, conceivably, you could have a Thrive business account. Um, and not need a zero subscription, it'll do your tax for you automatically. Mm. So mm. they're going to launch yeah, wow. later this year. And it's, it's, you know, it's really exciting. That's phenomenal. But I kind of liken it to, you know, like a heavyweight prize fighter, you know, training months and months for a fight and then, you know, knocking someone out in 30 seconds. <laughs> You'd still take it. <laughs> You'd still take it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all the work was done beforehand. I mean, that's, I've, I've actually just only remembered we ran a Kickstarter campaign years ago here at the Entourage for a journal, a purpose journal. And, uh, and we hit our funding goal uh, on the launch night. Uh, but it was but it was because we did all the work beforehand, right? Like we'd communicated with our community, we'd actually developed it with them, and then it was kind of coming to a crescendo. So they must have done tons of work in the lead up. So can can you maybe talk us through that a little bit? Like what what does a good campaign look like in terms of pre work, launch, and the rest? Yeah, look, you know, it's typically a nine to twelve week process. You know, all things being equal, and mm. you know, just broken up into three phases. There's that pre prep, and then that's really to get you ready to launch your expression of interest campaign, which will run for three to four weeks. And then we mm -hmm. move straight into the offer, which will run for another three to four weeks. Mm -hmm. But but you're right, like all, all of the prep is at the outset. So it's like kind of getting all your marketing assets together, figuring out what your PR plan is going to be, making sure that you've got, you know, legal and stuff like that covered or at least a pathway to get it done in the time you need. Mm -hmm. Um of campaign video like this is essential like we you know have in the early days ran a couple of campaigns without a campaign video and it's a terrible yeah. idea so like <laughs> and, and again you think like it's a way for you know a founder 
to you know um, be authentic and establish that relationship with people in a very short period of time. So yeah. you know we, you need to campaign video before the EOR. So that takes a bit of time. But then we yeah. like to run things pretty tight. So you yeah. know three to four week EOI. Um, towards the end of the EOI, uh, you know they're kind of adjusting the terms or, or finalizing the terms of the offer because once we open it, can't change anything. Um, mm. And, you know, obviously engagement with people as they come through on that EOI list the whole way through. Yeah. So uh, do you help them make the video or they make it themselves with guidelines from you? How does that work? Yeah, look, we've got a really like great network of partners, videographers that have done really good work in the past. And this is growing. And, you know, whenever mm. we kind of come across a new one, like we're delighted because then we can recommend them to others. Um, yeah. We've also got Claire Brown, who's like our senior campaign and success manager. And Claire, um, you know, Claire's got a background in film and TV before she mm. got into, you know, Andy. startups. Yeah. And um, so, like, Claire spends a bit of time with companies on, you know, on their scripts and storyboards and things like that. Um, yeah. But you'll see, like, they all have a similar, a similar formula. Hey, team, it's Jack again. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Make It Happen show. If you're a business owner who wants to elevate every area of your life, you want to create a vision for your life so compelling that you're literally pulled towards it. You want to create a roadmap that not only ensures you're showing up every day as your best self, but your experience of life is one of fulfillment, happiness, and success. Then you have to join me at the Elevated Entrepreneur Experience. Head to www.the-entourage.com event, and I look forward to seeing you there. Now, let's get back to the show. You haven't, uh, is there anyone, any campaign you can remember that you're, you're happy to talk about? You're like, what, that didn't happen how we were expecting? Maybe even one that you're like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. And then it blew the lights out or any curveballs along the way? Yeah. Um, I like, I mean, I often get it wrong, like, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But th I mean, that's the beauty of our business is I don't need to be right about this. I think that's yeah. what we kind of realized in the early days is we put faith in the process that, you know, yeah. And this is where we're different to, you know, like other platforms and other people that have been, you know, operating in the early stage space is, you know, we, um, like we don't kind of sell our list or position ourselves as the experts, like we are the mm. guides and, mm. you know, we're building a relevant audience for each company new every time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, our first two campaigns um, were were not successful and you know it was a very inauspicious start for us as a platform um <laughs> gotta go through it yeah exactly um but you know our third campaign was successful that was for park social so soccer club and uh yeah. yeah sam davey is a great mate and um you know a lot of uh you know love and affection for, for that company and what sam does um and there's a couple of others that i just thought i probably can't name names because <laughs> no, nah, I won't push it. I won't push it. Really, they've really worked, but I thought, you know, absolutely, you know, um, no way. And then you're totally surprised that people respond. But the one that I did know, and which is very recent, is Bubble Tea Club, and this is ah. a you know, campaign that's live at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No, we've met we've, we've met those girls. They've been in the office actually. I think they're friends friends with a couple of guys here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. How's it going? Ah, uh, like look, they they raised over a million dollars in their first day. Um, wow. you know, they absolutely knocked it out of the park. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's still open, but it probably won't won't be open much longer. But I knew after just chatting with these people, like. Yeah, yeah. This thing is, is good. So. Yeah, they're super infectious. They've got a great product. It looks awesome. 
So I can I can understand how that would have worked. And what about like sort of behind virtual the the, the business side of it? Like, how, how's the business going for you? How's it growing? What's changing? Run me through that. Yeah. So um, look, we've we've had pretty much one hundred percent growth year on year for the last three right. years. Um, yeah. And you know, I mean, without sounding boastful, like we're, we're the largest platform that does what we do in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've got about 70% of the uh, transaction volume in the crowdfunding industry. Um, but, you know, like our approach, as I mentioned, it's always been a volume-based approach. Like we feel that the real impact that the crowdfunding industry can make is if it's easy and efficient for companies to raise capital. Yeah. As a business, like we're really focused on what happens next for a lot of these companies because... Mm-hmm. You know, if if they don't, you know, if some of them don't succeed, like the question will always be asked, like, what is the point of what we do? And, mm. you know, from my perspective, it's not just getting the company the capital that, that they need, but it's so they can execute their plans yeah. and, and return and recycle capital to investors so we can just do it again. You should send it to the entourage. We can help them out. Yeah. <laughs> so interested in a couple of numbers here, right? So first of all, on, on the campaigns, like what's the rough win rate or what's how many out of every 10 campaigns roughly how many are successful that's the first question i have and then the second question that i'll have is like what do you think will be a good um not return rate but like you know out of the te- out of 10 every 10 successful campaigns how many do you think will then have a successful exit from there so yeah those two sets of numbers are pretty interesting for me yeah um in terms of our success rate on the platform i mean It'll probably sound quite high, but it really speaks to our process. Like it's, mm-hmm. I think it's probably up around 95%, maybe a bit higher in terms of the wow. success rate. But mm-hmm. the reason for that is, you know, companies can bail out at the EOI stage, like, and that's mm-hmm. totally fine. Like what we're yeah. doing is testing the market. If there's not enough interest, well, then it's not the right time to raise capital. Like we don't yeah. just kind of brute force people through a process if it's if it's not going to produce an outcome. So yeah, good. Good. um but, you know, even with that, if we look at, you know, EOIs that don't proceed to an offer, it's still pretty high. Like, I think it's mm. still probably, you know, up over around 85%. So, um, mm. in terms of the companies that, you know, that are going to succeed, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Have you thought about it, though? It's like, I mean, obviously, the, you know, the first big exit's going to be great. Like, that'll be like real validation of the process. But, you know, even professional VCs, you know, don't get it right the majority of the time. And, and so I just kind of, you know, like, I just wonder what do you think would be if you get, you know, 20%, 50% of, of the businesses that are successfully raised funding go on to do some good stuff or grow from there. Is that is that good or what's good? Yeah, like, um, I mean, I, I think it's it's, it's going to be higher than 10 to 15%, you know, yeah. like, and if you're thinking about a sufficiently diversified portfolio of investments, like if you, if you were going to allocate, you know, a portion of your wealth to investing in this as an asset class, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I mean, this is really fundamental type stuff. An angel investor wants to see a pathway to a 10x return to kind of cover the losses for the rest mm-hmm. of the portfolio. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably going to be higher than than mm-hmm. 10%. Um, you know, even some back of the envelope type stuff, we've hosted, you know, 80 offers, uh, approaching 80 offers, and we've got a bunch live on the platform that's, you know, since we've launched. I know of about eight or nine companies that are like in advanced stages of, um, you know, exit or liquidity type events. Yeah, great. Perhaps unsurprising because, you know, IPO markets are hot and everyone wants to kind of get to the, get to the boards <laughs> at the moment. But, you know, I mean, will all of those happen? Probably not. But, yeah. you know, there are at least, you know, enough kind of 
businesses of uh, reasonable size and scale that are at least thinking about this. So yeah. hopefully in the next 12 months, we'll have one or two case studies. Yeah, yeah. I can see I can see a high success rate actually being baked into your whole process though. Because cause you talked before, it's like people can kind of opt out at any stage if they're not getting the interest. And then the only ones that are, well, the ones that are successful already have a great community. And so they've got you know, customers that are invested in them and want to help the business grow. And that just stands to reason that they're going to have a better chance of taking the next step, whatever that is, you know, compared to, you know, maybe a private business that's come up, um, you know, grown really well, but hasn't demonstrated some of that sort of mass appeal. So yeah, I could, I could see there being a greater success chance in other avenues and I hope it happens. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I think the other thing, and this is important to remember, right, like is, you know, in contrast to what a VC or an angel investor that's typically investing in tech startups will look for, you know, like they're looking for hockey stick type growth, you know, mm. you know a lot of the time, return the fund model. Mm. Um, and that means that there's a lot of really good businesses that are just never going to be considered by those kinds of investors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's okay for us because, you know, we've got a lot of investors that just want to be involved, like in a good business. And if they get, yeah. you know, double their money or triple their money or even just kind of break even, but, you know, like they've had a good time being involved in a business as a customer, but also as an investor, then, you know, that's okay. Like it's not, um, it's not just this kind of, you know, like endless pursuit of growth that really, you know, only only really applies to a small fraction of these businesses. There's got to be a room for, you know, or a place for, you know, other other capital. Yeah, that's that's absolutely our world at the Entrepreneur as well. Like we've got, while we do have and have had a number of members that are in sort of high growth, high tech, you know, the vast majority of businesses that we deal with are in you know much more traditional industries they're all still trying to grow they're all still trying to turn it into a great business but they're like service providers they're allied health they're construction all sorts of stuff it's like you can build a great business in any industry it doesn't need to be like the silicon valley startup dream um and so yeah it's great that you guys are helping them grow all right i've got a um i've got a couple more questions here that neither of us have seen we call it make it happen in a minute um all right so Five questions here that we go through in reasonably rapid pace. There's, there's no real-time pressure. I'm terrible at these things. <laughs> no, they're good fun. They're good fun. Um, oh, this is a great first question. Is what's been your favourite campaign video from one of, one of the virtual clients? Uh, CBIN Project's most recent video. Do yourself a favour and watch it. It's very entertaining. Great. Mate, you nailed that. What are you talking about? You're not good at these. <laughs> Question number two. What's one thing you learnt in corporate law that you've taken on into your business journey? Oh, it's a bit controversial. Never trust your client. <laughs> oh, really? Can you dig into that a little bit more? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just you always have a healthy amount of scepticism just to kind of make sure that people actually understand you know, yeah. the, the question that you're asking and the context in, in which they're giving it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did corporate law, yeah? It's talking like criminal law. Don't trust your client. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just wearing different uh, different shirts. Um, all right, question number three. If, you've could, if you could have been an investor in any business in the world when it was a startup, right, so it doesn't have to be one of yours, any business in the world, if you could have invested in it, which business would that be? I don't want to go for like the super obvious answers. So, um, but yeah, one that really bugged me that I didn't get on and now it's just way too expensive is just zero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Should have, could have, would have. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always, it's easy in hindsight, isn't it? And I mean, zero is a great tool. We use it. A lot of our members use it. Uh, number four. Oh, there's a whole area we haven't even talked about, but 
which we may we may well do. Uh, what's your favorite thing to cook at a barbecue? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a tough one for me because you know I do all, all four of the main barbecue events. So uh, um, no, it's got to be it's got to be pork ribs. Yep, yep. Maybe let's give everyone a bit of background of this. Like, why is barbecue so near to your heart? Uh, well, I represented Australia at the World Championships of Barbecue in Lynchburg, Tennessee, a few years ago. <laughs> so, how how on earth did that happen? Uh, my wife and I won a contest as part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, and then yeah. um, who knew that there was a World Championships of Barbecue at the uh, Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg, Tennessee? But we did, uh, then... and we got an invitation, and we went. So. Well, I'm interested in this actually. Let's, let's just dig into this a little bit more. Were there other countries represented there, and and were like were the people that normally turn up at this thing interested, surprised, disgusted? You were there, like what was it like? Oh, like we were the uh, we were the first team. So there was an Australian guy that I think was living in the states that just kind of rocked up and competed one year, and they all just yeah. thought he was a bit of a lunatic. And then we were the <laughs> first ones that actually qualified in a you know in an event to kind of get our invitation. But yeah, they had like twenty or thirty countries. So like we were next to. Oh, the, right. The Polish barbecue team and the German yeah. barbecue team, and um, we, you know, we just kind of turned up really, yeah, like um, unprepared for like how you know big of a deal this whole thing was. Um, teams that have followed, uh, you know, we kind of gave them some insight on on how serious it gets. So, uh, I'm uh, I'm guessing you didn't just throw a bunning snag on there. You had to do the uh, whole thing. No, we actually came, so they do a cooking from the homeland, uh, um, you know, uh, dish. And we came 10th um, out of, you know, over 150 competitors, which, you know, I thought was pretty good. Um, but we did a porchetta because my dad's Italian oh, yeah. and, and that, that's usually what we cook when we're feeding a lot of people. You know, it's crisp, crispy pork uh, crackling on the outside and, you know, the dark meat on the inside is great. All right, that was a great detour. <laughs> All right, last question here, and then I've got a one or two as well to wrap up. Um, if a company wants to really stand out as a brand, what's the one thing they need to do to make it happen? To stand out as a brand? I mean, look, I always default back to the authenticity of the founding team. Like nothing connects better than, you know, a passionate, engaged and motivated founder and, you know, people back people. And um, I think the best campaigns have, have really had, you know, believable, uh, transparent and accountable founders. Yeah. Yeah. Great one. Uh, yeah. Last uh, thoughts from me is like, first of all, What's ahead for you know Australian equity crowdfunding? Like, where do you see it going? How how big do you see it getting? And then also, what's ahead for virtual? Yeah, uh, thanks. The look, you know, for equity crowdfunding, more of the same. I think we're just going to see you know more deals, um, but with that is going to bring bring you know a greater expectation or more pressure on like what what happens next for these businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose that's kind of the what happens next for virtual. You know, kind of wrapped up in that is. How do we help these companies, you know, that have, you know, raised capital in a very sophisticated way for an early stage business? How do we help them then take the next step, execute their plans? Um, mm. On the other side of that is, you know, just investors being able to realise a return. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a, uh, you know, a facility, a trading facility that we're, we're piloting later this year for um, mm -hmm. a company. Um, and, you know, once we kind of, you know, prove up these things and, you know, it becomes, uh, 
you know, more credible and believable way for people to actually realize a return from investing in early stage businesses, then mm. you know, I think the, the sky's the limit for us. Yeah. As so uh, actually, lastly, is like you mentioned, the UK is a couple of years ahead of us or, or well ahead of us on this. Like, like what kind of volume do they do in terms of deals comparable to us now? Yeah, so in the in the UK uh, in 2019 and 2020, um, about 400 million pound was transacted uh, in the industry. But the industry is kind of dominated by two large platforms, Crowdcube and Cedars, and um, you know they they pretty much split the market. You know, 45, 45, and and you know, and then there's a few other operators. There's about 400 million pound. Um, what I've seen this year is, you know, that they've really started to accelerate again. Um, you know, you need to remember UK crowdfunding industry really kind of grew in the wake of the GFC. So, you know, there was a real need uh, for it at the time. And, um, but it took them a while to kind of achieve scale because it was the first time it had been done anywhere. I suppose we've had the benefit of, you know, some people, early adopters or people that had awareness of the UK you know, they were kind of more willing to, you know, it, it's not the first time that it's being done in Australia. So yeah. I think we've accelerated a bit faster than that as an industry. But, you know, certainly the expectation is that, you know, we will grow in proportion to, you know, what the, what the crowdfunding regimes overseas have. Yeah, awesome. Well, if it's in a couple of years and even just a couple of hundred million dollars are flowing into Australian businesses through this kind of um, equity crowdfunding, that's pretty exciting. So well done on taking the, taking the lead and, and bringing this to Australia. Matt Vitale, it's been awesome to have you on. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Make It Happen Show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And it doesn't need to end there. We've actually gone and grabbed a whole bunch of extra resources for you. Behind the scenes footage, videos from this and all the other episodes, as well as show notes that you can grab for free. Just head along to www.the-entourage.com slash podcast and you can grab all those extra resources. Thanks for tuning in and I cannot wait to introduce you to our next guest on the next episode.